All right, evening, folks. How many of you are here? All right. That's better on Sunday morning. Not everyone that's there on Sunday is actually there. All right. How many of you were not out during the day here today? Okay. How many don't remember? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the road a lot, and sometimes I'll be in a hotel room. Maybe it's just, you know, in between meetings in the afternoon, and I'm sitting at my computer writing, and then the thought hits me, where am I? Where, and, and very frequently when I land... Uh, you know, in, in Charlotte, North Carolina airport where, where we live now, pretty much you know, if, if, depending on, on which, uh, which terminal you come into, where your baggage is going to be. But sometimes I'll just check. So you have to look on the board. To, and often I, I go to look on the board and I think, okay, I just flew in from. And I have to remember, okay, I was with these people. Got it, got it. So anyway, glad you're all here. I'm here. Glad to be with you tonight. Um, just a couple quick things for those that weren't here during the day. As we've been focusing on the things of the Spirit, teaching on healing in the day, and, and want to preach on, on faith tonight, and, and then on the Holy Spirit again tomorrow morning, uh, we brought one book with us that um, it, it's in certain ways the most supernatural book I wrote because you'll, you'll see the, the book is like a 400-page book. Uh, some of it is some appendixes that some friends wrote, but uh, I wrote 300 pages in three weeks' time and um, just gripped by the Spirit to do it. Uh, Pastor John MacArthur had his big Strange Fire conference, and I felt the Lord laid it on my heart to write a response book. So he wrote Strange Fire, I wrote Authentic Fire. And um, it's not just a response to his attack on the charismatic movement, but it really helped you understand why we believe what we believe, uh, open up things about the God that we experience, and even how everyone needs one another within the body. So you'll find this book really edifying and helpful, but I have a new book coming out in about three weeks called Playing with Holy Fire. And around the world, far and away, the fastest growing faith is not Islam or, or even people losing their faith, atheism. It is charismatic Pentecostal Christianity. For decades now, is the fastest growing faith around the world. And, and you're talking about, think of this, the Azusa Street outpouring begins like 110 years ago, a little over that. You know, and it's ramshackle. It's, it's a building that had been a barn, then we used it a church building, then a barn, and, and just, you know, kind of nobody's leading it. But the Holy Spirit was poured out, and it was part of a series of revival movements at, at the turn of the century. But from that one little insignificant thing, the modern Pentecostal charismatic movement spread to the point that in, in, in the year 2000, uh, Time Life put out a book on the most significant events of the last thousand years. They picked 100. And you know how difficult that is? I mean, all the medical breakthroughs, wars, major historical changes, inventing, invention of the printing press. I mean, just everything you can imagine. So you have teams of experts looking at this. Uh, but sure enough, there it was in the high 60s, Azusa Street, the modern Pentecostal outpouring was considered to be one of the hundred most significant events of the last thousand years. Uh, and, and some have called it the most significant social movement in world history, you know, affecting maybe 600 million people. But the other thing that happens when things spread quickly and move quickly, there's often a lot of immaturity. Uh, in the midst of the holy fire, there's often wildfire. And, and then, the truth be told, we haven't done the best job of policing ourselves. There's a whole lot of junk on TV. You know, so, some of it's getting better. There's a whole lot of corruption. And, and, and come on, look. Uh, how many times have you seen the guy say, the Lord just gave me 37777. If you'll call this number right now, you know, 1-800-77, and, and donate $777. The Lord's going to give you 7770 And people are writing out checks and mega bucks coming in. You think, how do we get so gullible? So playing with Holy Fire, this is just an advanced copy I got, is a wake-up call to the charismatic Pentecostal church, but it's not a bashing book. It's a book that tells the truth because God wants us to grow up and go deeper. Amen. So you'll read it and be saying amen on every page and glad that we wrote it. So you can pre-order that, and then we'll pay the postage and send you a signed copy when it comes out in a few weeks, all right? So take advantage of that at the book table. And um, only for the third time in my life, we are leading a tour to Israel. I minister there all the time, but 
This is only the third time we'll be doing it early next year. So if you're, if you're curious, want to find out, have wanted to go to Israel, grab one of these cards on the way out. The tour is called Holy Fire in the Holy Land, and we really intend it to be radically, dramatically life-changing. In fact, when we first did a tour years back, uh, about three years ago, I'd been asked for years and years to do it. It's like, I'm not called to lead tours. I'm called to minister in Israel and reach out to Jewish people and not lead tours. But I finally got persuaded to do it. And uh, even though I knew people would be impacted, I was shocked by how impacted they were. And I run into people years later, and it was the same with the second trip. And one of my friends leads two to three trips a year, and every time the same results, people just transform for life. But along with the day tour, we'll be having special night meetings, and that's why we're calling it Holy Fire in the Holy Land. So grab one of those cards on the way out if you want to find out more. Okay, with that, we will pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. God, we come to you and ask you to speak to us and move in our midst. Not just another meeting, not just another message. Do something by the power and life of your spirit through your word tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. We're going to speak tonight on the spirit of faith. The spirit of faith. Faith and fear are two completely contradictory forces, emotions, mindsets, attitudes. And whereas fear paralyzes, faith liberates. And if you'll remember when the synagogue ruler named Jairus, Yair in Hebrew, is, as he comes to Jesus because his daughter is very sick, you remember what happens as Jesus is on his way to go heal him, the woman with the issue of blood touches him, he ends up stopping talking to her. And, and if you're this father, you're thinking, come on, we gotta, she's dying, we gotta go, come on, we gotta get there. And what happens is that they come and tell him, don't bother the teacher anymore, your daughter's dead. You hear those words, any of us that have ever heard those words about a loved one, I mean, that sinking feeling, it's, it's over. It was one thing for Jesus to heal the sick, but now she's dead. It's over. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Who can imagine the emotions? And he's thinking, oh man, if we'd been a minute earlier, if we'd gotten there and the whole, she'd be alive. And Jesus says to him, don't fear. Believe only and she will live. So fear that paralyzing, hopeless, everything is going wrong. It's all coming down. Your worst nightmares are going to be realized versus believe God. Believe God. Numbers 13 tells the story of the 12 spies who were sent in to spy out the promised land, the land that God had promised to give to his people. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So these are leaders, all right? Tribal leaders, respected men. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. So it tells you twice in two verses they were leaders. Now, everybody look up for one second. How many of you read the Bible regularly? All right? How many of you are familiar with this account? All right? How many of you can name for me any of the 10 spies that came back with a negative report? The 10 spies who said, we can't take the land. The 10 spies who said, don't do it. Can you name for me the two who said, we can take the land? Of course. Isn't that an interesting thing? Generations later, you don't remember the words of the naysayers and the critics and the can't do and it's impossible. You remember the names of the ones who said, we can take the land. Now, now, now think of this for a minute. These people had seen God's power. They, they were eyewitnesses to the exodus from Egypt. They saw God pour out the plagues on Egypt and yet spare the people of Israel. They saw him split the sea. 
Every day now, for months and months, they had been receiving the manna supernaturally. They saw God's hand. They saw him turn undrinkable waters into drinkable waters. These are all things they experienced. Now, there was a negative pattern in the midst of the people of Israel, which is one of grumbling and complaining and grumbling and complaining and grumbling and complaining. Do not build faith. Grumbling and complaining produce a negative outlook, a hopeless outlook. outlook. It doesn't glorify God to grumble and complain. And when you, when you trace through the book of Exodus and the people of Israel constantly grumbling and complaining and grumbling and complaining, and then you go right up to Numbers the 11th chapter, they're grumbling and complaining again. They're not happy with the food. And the Numbers the 12th chapter, there's grumbling and complaining from Aaron and Miriam against Moses. You realize this is a pattern that is undermining faith, negativity, hopelessness. Listen, I'm not saying that we should be filled with hope and faith in an unrealistic way. I'm saying if God says it, that's enough for me. It doesn't matter what the opposition looks like. I would rather have big opposition with a big God, you know, big satanic opposition with a big God than little opposition and no God. Or, or I'd rather have big opposition and big promises than little opposition and little promises. And my focus is not on a great big devil, but on a great big God. So these people had reason to have hope because God had promised them the land. This was not just a matter of, hey, I think we're strong enough to take it. I think, hey, you know, if we organize properly. No, no, the same God that brought them out of Egypt told them they could take the land. I remember ministering in Finland one time, and I had been over there the first trip, they had translated my book, Our Hands Are Stained with Blood, about the church and the Jewish people. They were the first nation to translate it. Many of the Finnish churches had a great heart for Israel. So I went over there to minister about Israel and things like that. Once I was there, I really saw clearly how much demonic, uh, excuse me, how much the church needed uh, awakening, how much of the church had been lethargic and, and needed a fresh touch. So he said, listen, if I come back, let's really focus on revival and renewal as opposed to focusing messages on Israel. So the translator agreed, great, let's do it. I think that's the great need. God can really use you to help spark revival in the church in Finland. So I go over for the next trip, and I get in for the first night, and I'm about to to speak, and a local reporter wants to talk to me. He said, so you're going to be talking about anti-Semitism tonight? I said, no, no, talking about revival in the church and need for renewal. He said, no, no, that's not the subject. I said, what do you mean? He said, here, look here. And he said, you're, you're advertised, you're going to be talking about Jewish issues and anti-Semitism. I said, that's not somewhere I'm here. Well, what happened was that, that that pastor decided that they'd get more people out if they advertised an Israel meeting and put out these other subjects. And I said, I'm, I'm not there for that. And I remember trying to go from the announced subject to what I really needed to talk about. And, and you know, so we're in that city we call the next place you know there for four days we call the next city where i'm going and the pastor says the translator says everything's set everything's good just as planned you know they're focusing on revival renewal in the church great great four days great meetings the whole bit next city he said yeah we called everything's good we come walking up to the building and and i don't i don't understand finnish it's a very different different difficult language but I can make out on the, the marquee the word Israel. What happened? Same deal. Even though they knew why I was coming, they thought they'll get more people if they advertise an Israel meeting and the whole bit. So we, I've got a bit of an attitude at this point. The translator has a bit of an attitude. And I preached on a Sunday morning at this church, and the senior pastor wasn't there. It was another pastor, and I preached. I, I didn't care what was announced. I was preaching a repentance message and the whole bit. And, and this, the associate pastor just kind of seemed almost mocking of me. Like, oh, yes, yes, repentance message. And so we're driving up that night for the night meeting, and we're griping. My translator and I are griping. I was going to be in Finland for three weeks, and we had a bad attitude, and we were grumbling and complaining and griping as we drive up to preach. Yeah, and who's even going to be there on a Sunday night? Yeah, and the pastor, yeah, I had the same attitude. Yeah, the same feeling with that pastor. Yeah, once. And uh, another, they're just coming for an Israel meeting. And suddenly we got convicted by the Lord. It's supposed to be two men of God. We got convicted. Asked the Lord to forgive us. 
you know, cleanse us. Anyway, great turnout and the greatest outpouring in a single service we had in Finland. I mean, God just swept through the place and we were, we were humbled. We were very humbled by God. But the constant grumbling and complaining and negativity, it, it, it has an effect. It has an effect. So these leaders go in to explore the land, right? When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, verse 17, he said, go up through the Negev to the hill country. So go through, check it out. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for first ripe grapes. So they went up and they explored the land, goes through everything they did. And and verse 23, when they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. You're talking about fruitful land, big grapes. They came back to Moses and Aaron. And the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, verse 26. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But, but the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites and Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. And Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we we can't, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw, they're of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. And the bad report spreads through the people who begin to mourn and wail, want to go back to Egypt. Joshua and Caleb, we can take the land. They're not listened to. The 10 spies with the bad report are listened to. They end up dying of a plague, and that whole generation that believes them, everyone 20 years old and up, dies in the wilderness. And this had been building through the grumbling and the complaining and the negativity and the rebellion until it turns into outright rebellion, you know, absolute rebellion against Moses and his authority. There was a spirit of faith and Joshua and Caleb, the others, even though they were leaders, even though they had seen God move, became intimidated by what they saw with their own eyes. They quickly forgot what God had done, and what they saw with their own eyes was more real to them than the promises of God. And with that comes that spirit of fear, which is an intimidating spirit. Suddenly, all strength is gone. Suddenly, weakness comes, and your knees are about to buckle. You know, I was reading one time what Mike Tyson, famous boxer, had said, and he knew that he had guys defeated before he got in the ring. Or once he got in the ring and made eye contact with him, he could see immediately that they were going down because they were afraid. Something about him, something ferocious, something intense. He wasn't that physically big for a heavyweight boxer, but something on him intimidated people. And that spirit of fear is intimidating. You can't do it. You're going down. Your nightmare, your worst nightmare is reality. And that's what it tells you. Think of the children of Israel with Goliath. You know, this big monstrous guy. And, and, and he comes and stand be, stands before the Israelites every day, and they're like, all right, come on, we're going to do that. Yeah, we're going to do it. Somebody's going to take him down. All right, somebody's going to, come on, come on, we're going to do it. And they get out, and he's like, giant, they scream, no, they cower. They shout, yes. All right, who's going to fight Goliath? They get intimidated and run. One time I was ministering in Japan, and Japanese are a much smaller people, then I said, I'm, I'm a pretty big guy. And every night 
They wanted me to lay hands on lots and lots of people, hundreds and hundreds of people. So they lined them up, you know, very, very orderly, lined them up. And I would go through the crowd and pray, and it was like dominoes falling. I mean, you know, big, big man of God. <laughs> I was just physically imposing. I remember my translator had a, you know, when, when, he, when I stood up to speak and he stood next to me, everybody started laughing because of the disparity in our size. And, you know, the power of God going through you and people being touched and, you know, powerful man of God, you know, big man. Well, not long after that, I'm at the airport in Atlanta, and, and I'm sitting there. Our older daughter was visiting, and my assistant Scott, and he looks up. He goes, that is one big human being. And I look up, and there's this guy now known as the Big Show. He's like the largest wrestler in the world. He's over seven feet tall and 500 pounds or something. I thought, i got to check out how big this guy is. Long hair in those days. So, so I catch up to him, and he's, he's going down the escalator, but he, he fills the escalator. So I think, you know, I had my track. My, my, my track when I got saved is called from LSD to PhD. It's got an old picture of me and my drug days and all that. And I had a track ready to give him. I thought, I'm going to witness to him. And, and, and I was going to tell him, when I was a boy, I, I used to go see professional wrestling. My dad got free tickets. I used to go every week. So all the super famous guys that he would have heard of but probably never saw, I got to see. So I was, I was going to be my entree point, you know. And I and remember big man of God, right, mowing him down in Japan, big man of God. Well, I, I stand next to this guy and say, excuse me, just so he thought I needed to get by. So he turns, because he, otherwise he literally filled the escalator. He turns this way, and I look up, and suddenly I felt like a little child, so, I, I, you know, when I was a boy, I, my daddy used to take me to see wrestling, and they were really big wrestlers. You have a not as big as you, and I would be really happy if you'd read this thing that I wrote myself, would you? I mean, that's pretty much the dialogue we had. I don't think my voice sounded like that, but that's how I felt. I mean, he took out this giant paw, just kind of took the thing, and was like, thank, thank you, Mr. Big Sir, thank you. And, and when we got on the, the train that takes you between terminals in Atlanta, I mean, he literally had to stand with his head down because he was too tall. So I intentionally stood next to him just so, just so my daughter could, and she's just looking. Like, and everything about him, he wasn't just tall. You know, some basketball players probably taller than him, but he's a giant. Like his hands were twice human size, and his feet, he was in sandals, were twice human size. So I just stood there so Jen could kind of like, look at this monster next to my father. But it's just interesting, you know, I feel big, strong, you know, when I'm around these little Japanese folks. And now with this professional wrestler, I felt like a little boy again. Oh, I went every Friday with my daddy. I loved my daddy. He's very nice, man. I mean, suddenly the intimidation because of the monstrous size of this guy. But, but really, I mean, it's a vivid illustration but, but that's what happens sometimes when we think I'm full of faith, I'm believing God. Man, we hit a wall. You know, you devil, you're coming out in Jesus' name, and next thing you're, you're laid out yourself. It's like, reminds me of one of my friends, missionary in Italy for many years, was visiting India. And, and one night, these pastors were praying over this girl in a tent, and they said, brother, brother, come here, help us pray. She was demon-possessed. They said, help us pray. So he goes in to pray. Next thing, he's laying unconscious on the floor. Man of God from America, missionary to Europe for decades, he's laying unconscious on the floor. So they, the Indian ministers kept praying for her. She got set free. The next day, he tells me a little girl comes riding by on her bicycle and sees him and comes up to him and says, sir, I'm sorry for knocking you out last night. <laughs> and he's thinking, oh, yeah, what kind of man of faith is he? This little girl, demon-possessed, literally knocked him out. We can laugh about these things, and some of the stories are funny, but the reality is it's, it's very difficult when, 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 when fear comes in. How do you stand? How do you resist it? How do you fight against it when everything's telling you it's going down? When everything's telling you you're going to lose? And, and when faith feels so feeble, trying to rise up in the midst of it, and, and the things you've done, the things you're used to, 
It's like, you know, you think, okay, this is it. We're going to take the enemy down with this blow in Jesus' name. And he looks at you like, that's your best shot? That's all you got? Intimidation. I've been to India now 25 times in 25 years. But it was one of the early trips. It was the third trip. It was the first trip Nancy wasn't making with me. And I was going to be there for a whole month. One of my friends was traveling with me. But it was a whole month trip. And India is changing a lot. It's becoming much more modernized. And, and it used to be when we'd be on the road, I mean, the hotels were really primitive. And there was no contact, you know, with home for days and days. And maybe some hotel could get a fax and I'd get a report from something. Now there's cell phones everywhere and things being modernized in many places. But it was in those earlier days, so it's around 1995, and the the trip is more challenging. And somehow, my friend Yesu Padam that leads the ministry there and would translate for me, we just weren't in sync. We were not in sync. And, And I'm going one way while preaching, and I'm feeling like he's not with me. And I'm preaching my heart out, and and he's thinking, What's what's the matter? You don't seem yourself this trip. And we're just we we're not in harmony. And I remember he said, listen, we're going to cancel the day meetings because I talk to leaders in the day and then preach at night. He said, we're going to cancel the day meetings so you can pray all day. That's sweet. Just stay in your room and pray. There's nothing to to do. There's nowhere to go. Just stay in the room and pray all day, which is nice when you choose to do it. (laughs) It's different when someone chooses it for you. So I remember, you know, just praying by the hour in the room with a bad attitude, you know, because I had no choice. It's like, all right, let me get a good attitude and pray. And so so we're, we're just... Struggling, you know, and so we, we, we get to, to one city, and years earlier, he had preached in this city, and, and he had he'd gone into a village and asked them, do you know Jesus? They had no idea who he was talking about or what he was talking about. And they said, if you go into the next village, maybe they'll know. I mean, they didn't even know what or who Jesus was. So he got a tremendous burden in my own country, India. Some people have no idea who he is. So he went back to preach, and the elders of that, of that village there in that city told him, if you bring the gospel to our village, we're going to stone you, which he did and which they did. So he went and preached, and they literally they started throwing stones at him, you know, broke one of his fingers, cut open his head, and, and as he fell to the ground bleeding, he felt this great privilege, and he said, Jesus, you gave your blood for this village. I give my blood for this village. I claim it in Jesus' name. And subsequently, 75% of the village came to faith, and the elders who stoned him, the Hindu elders, became elders in the church there. So it was a remarkable story, and now years later, for the first time, he was coming to do a major gospel outreach there. And I was going to be speaking, so he was really focused on this and really praying and really excited about it. And, And one of the men that had stoned him was now one of the pastors there. And so first night, you know, and we're used to preach to crowds of thousands in, in these meetings in India, but the first night there were maybe 800 people in that city, and it, it was a good start. So the worship starts out, everything's good, and now it's time for the message, and suddenly there's a downpour. I mean, it's time to preach, and suddenly the rain comes pouring down, pouring down, and we're looking at each other like, how could this be? And the people scattered, you know, it's it a torrent, and most of them wearing the only clothes they have, they just scatter, and the field's covered with mud. And, and we just looked at each other like, what happened? He was stunned. And I thought, no, I, I, I can't believe that the devil had the power to do that. If the devil stopped this meeting, I can't believe that for a second. So I just, I just stood on the platform. The rain had stopped. And I just said, Lord, let this be a sign. Let the outpouring of the rain be a sign of the outpouring of your spirit. I didn't know I was right. I was hoping, you know. <laughs> let it be, Lord. Let it be. You know, that was my prayer. That was my hope. And... Next day, field too muddy for day meetings, so night meeting. So we're sitting there on the platform, and there's a few of us, you know, the makeshift platform kind of put together right before we get there, and, and suddenly the platform starts to collapse. Right under us, two guys sitting next to me, they had the drink, you know, whatever they were drinking in their hands, it spills and the thing starts to collapse, so it's like, oh, great, wonderful. Now time for the message. The main part of the platform's okay. And I'm preaching, and I cannot find my way. 
I've been preaching, you know, what, over 20 years at that point. I'm used to preaching the gospel, preach all the time, all settings all around the world. I just, something doesn't feel right. And I'm feeling like my translator's not with me. So, and I'm five minutes into the message and just, we are not breaking through. We are not breaking through. And, and suddenly, I, I just, I went back to creation and I remember saying the words, and God said, let there be light. I remember thinking, well, how does that fit in with my message? As I'm preaching and saying, how does that fit in with my message and where do I go next? As I say the words, let there be light, boom, all the lights go out. All the lights on the field go, just boom, out. The lights shut down. And I remember hearing this voice in my ear, this demonic voice saying, oh, very powerful God you serve. Oh, yeah. Very powerful God. You, you're messing with demonic strongholds, kid. You have no idea what you're up against. This is what I'm feeling. You know, let there, let there be like the God of creation says, let there be light. Bing! All the lights go off. It's like, yeah, just a local demon here is more powerful than your God. And so I'm, we're both shocked. Both shocked. Yesupanam leans over to me. And the mics were still on. That, that power was on, but the lights were out. He leans over to me, he says, when the lights come on, end the message and give it to me for the altar call. I thought, okay, he's probably thinking people are going to scatter again. They scattered because of the rain. So he wants to just get right to an altar call and afraid that people are going to leave. And so lights come back on after a few minutes. People are still there. I preach maybe five more minutes and I give it to him for the altar call. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to go sit. That platform's a little shaky anyway. I'm just going to sit and pray. But I have a bad attitude at this point. I'm thinking, why did I come all the way over to India to preach for five minutes? If, if he has a problem with my message, let him tell. I'm completely in the flesh at this point. I'm angry. If he has a problem with my message, let him tell me. Oh, is it, is it a white face? Is that what's drawing the crowd here? Because he's a powerful preacher. Well, the problem is I have time to stew because he then preaches a 45-minute message. There's no translation, so it's all in Telugu. I don't know what he's saying. All I know is I'm giving it to him for the altar call, and he's preaching a 45-minute message. That's when I start getting this bad attitude, because I sat down, I was fine, until he kept on preaching a whole message. I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? So afterwards, we're walking back to the house of this, this elder, the fellow who had stoned there many years ago, now as a pastor. We're going to his house to have some rice for the night meal, and he said, brother, what's the matter? I said, brother, you tell me what's the matter. He said, what's the matter? I, I said, you tell me. He said, why did you end the message? I said, why did you tell me to end the message? He said, brother, you preach maybe 10 minutes combined. Are you okay? What's the matter? I said, brother, why did you tell me to stop the message? He said, I said to you, when the message ends, when the lights come on and the message ends, give it to me for the altar call. I said, you didn't tell me to end the message? You didn't say when the lights come on, end the message? and give it to me for the altar call. He said, brother, I said, when the lights come on and you end the message, give it to me for the altar call. So we looked at each other and we started smiling like, okay, okay, this is demonic. This is interference here. And, and I said, how about we fast until we break through? He said, good idea, brother. So he tells the folks there, we're not eating tonight. You know, we don't know when we're eating, but it's like, we understand this has been satanic attack on our trip. Oh, one more little thing. That night, this pastor, Japanese-American pastor, was with us, man in his 50s, and he is leaving a little bit early from the little hut where we were having our meal, little house, and there was no, no sewage system in that town except for a gully that ran through. I mean, miserable, everything you can imagine, gully just in the open, and, and, and pigs would go in there and feed. I mean, it, it was grotesque. Anyway, as he was walking out to get to the vehicle to go back to the hotel, he didn't see where he was going and fell on his side in the gully. Oh, and did I tell you there was no running water? So in order to wash this poor guy, I mean, we're in there, and my brother and I looking at each other like, all right, we know there's demonic attack here. We're standing together against it. And, and suddenly we hear, oh, no, Brother David. 
And the poor guy fell in. So what they had to do is this guy stood in the front of the house with these sheets. And then he had to take his clothes off. And then they came. They had to keep going to the well to get buckets of water for him to pour over himself. And then just, you know, put some, like, kind of some skirt around him to get back to the hotel. And then he, he threw the clothes out, got back to the hotel, threw the clothes out, showered four times. But anyway, that's that part of the story. All that to say... The next day, I stood up and I preached from Numbers 13 and 14 in the words of Joshua and Caleb, we can take the land. Because that, that night before, feeling the intimidation, that demonic intimidation, you know, where is your God? Where's the power of your God? And it's something that we get hit with. That was dramatic. That was vivid. That was in the heart of India. That, that was one thing, but in our normal lives, it hits differently. It, it can be the report from the doctor when you're believing for the breakthrough, and you know the breakthrough is at hand, and that bad report comes in, and it says death all over it, and suddenly all the faith just seems to evaporate. Or when you're in the midst of a financial crisis, no fault of your own, and, you're trying, and, and it seems you have a way out, and God's going to break through, and then the opposite happens, and it's like the bottom falls out. How do you believe that? How do you, how do you muster up the faith? Look, self-confidence is not going to overcome the devil. A good attitude is not going to defeat demonic strongholds. It takes the truth of the word in the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit to overcome. One thing I've learned over the years is the principle of strength out of weakness. That in myself, I cannot do the will of God. That in myself, at my best, strongest, most vibrant day, with a great attitude, my body healthy, my mind sharp, I cannot defeat the devil. It is only by the power and life of the Spirit. And often self-confidence gets in the way of faith. Self-confidence is a pep talk. Self-confidence is, we can pull this off. You know, it's a team rallying together. Come on, come on, we can do that. And, and that's, that's good and healthy in its context because you're playing against other human beings, but when you're playing against the devil, it doesn't work. When there's an enemy of your soul who wants to destroy you, it doesn't work. We need supernatural faith. And, and for years... I had in my life a tremendous confidence in God that in subtle ways was also mingled with self-confidence until God brought me to a point, and I can't say that I'm perfectly free of any self-confidence in an unhealthy way, but I can tell you I'm radically different than I used to be. And God brought me to the end of myself and, and brought me to a place of, of complete weakness where for the first time I could really understand what Paul had written in 2 Corinthians 12. When he said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. God's strength is made perfect in weakness because we realize in ourselves, we cannot do it. But in God, all things are possible. In ourselves, the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Amorites, they're, they're, they're bigger, they're stronger. The Nephilim, the Anakites, they're bigger, they're stronger. In ourselves, we're outmanned and outarmed and outmatched and outmaneuvered. But with God, they can't stand. When David challenges Goliath, what's his challenge? Who are you to fight against the living God? He didn't think that, David, that Goliath was picking a fight with him or even with the people of Israel. You're challenging God? There's even a remarkable text in, in the book of Isaiah where Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, has Jerusalem closed in. And we, we actually have his, his writing of this. He gives the account. And we actually have the writing. It's one of the, one of the texts that I studied in, in Near Eastern languages in grad school where he says, I have, I have Hezekiah shut up in Jerusalem like a bird in a cage. He's boasting about it. And, and, and Hezekiah's tearing his garments, and we're all going to die. They just decimated our brethren in the north, decimated the ten northern tribes. We're going to die. It's all over. He cries out to God, and the prophet Isaiah comes back with a message saying, the virgin daughter of Zion wags her head at you as you flee. You know that the people of Israel, the, the Jewish people, mock you as you flee in terror. This is the, the greatest empire of the day. 
Assyria was known for its, its terrible actions and, and, and intimidation practices. They, they would, when they would conquer a city, sometimes what they would do is they would behead the men and, and then put the skulls in a pyramid at the, at the beginning of the gates of the city so everyone would know this is what's going to happen to you if you don't surrender. There are accounts that people would be so terrified as the Assyrian army drew near that they'd go on the rooftops and just scream on the rooftops. And, and here, little Judah is mocking them because it's not your strength, it's God's strength. The kingdom of God is not about you, it's, it's about the Lord. This is about the name of Jesus. This is about the gospel. Even when you're contending for healing and freedom and deliverance, yeah, it's about us, but it's even more the purposes of God. The purposes of God. Here, here's, here's what I have learned now in over 46 years of following Jesus. The devil is a pathological liar. He's a liar. That You can be sure of that. Did you ever hear the, the story that there's, there's a guy and he comes to a crossroad and there, there are two brothers standing there at the crossroads and this much he knows. He has to take one road. One road is the, is the way to where he has to go, right? And, and the other road is wrong place to go. And one of the brothers always lies and the other brother always tells the truth. But he doesn't know which brother is which. And he can only ask one question. It's this little riddle. You can only ask one question. And I think in all my years of preaching, this is the first time I've ever used this illustration. A day for firsts. <clears throat> Those who are here this morning understand that. So <laughs> you can only ask one question. If he says, which is the road to this place, right? If he asks the truthful brother, the brother will tell him the right way. If he asks the lying brother, the brother will tell him the wrong way. So how do you know who's who? So what's the question you ask? If you were your brother, which road would you tell me is the road this way? Right? And whichever they tell you, go the opposite. Because the truthful one will tell you the lie the brother would have told them. The lying one would tell you the lie rather than the truth. So whatever answer they give, you know is the wrong answer. Go the other way. And if you didn't figure that out, here, we're going to switch the scriptures around. Okay? You know what it says in the Bible, wise, if you don't understand, ask your husbands at home. So... Men, if you didn't get that, ask your wives when you get home. They'll explain the joke to you. <laughs> okay, seriously. The one thing you know about the enemy is what he tells you is false. Or he may mix in a little truth, but what he tells you is false, and what God tells you is true. The, the thing that I know to the very core of my being is that God cannot lie. What he has spoken, he will do. What he has promised, he will bring to pass. And nobody and nothing can get in the way of his plan. He is God and he alone is God. And when Jesus comes in the clouds, he's coming as king of kings and lord of lords. Every knee, scripture says it, it is true. One day every single knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus the Messiah is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Who's going to confess things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth? Every created being in the universe will acknowledge it. That's reality. That's what fuels the fire of my life. That's, that's the attitude with which I live every day of the week. That ultimately the gospel triumphs. That ultimately the name of Jesus is exalted. That ultimately this world will bow the knee whether willingly or unwillingly and it will acknowledge the Lord. That much I know, therefore I have confidence for today. Look, what happens at creation? First there's evening, then there's morning. One day. That, that light always comes after the darkness. It doesn't matter how dark it is, that there's light at the end of the darkness. And you even have some psalms that the psalm ends in darkness. In other words, that chapter of your life ends without hope, but then there's the next chapter which starts with singing and praising. Weeping may endure for the night. Joy comes in the morning. We can take the land. We must be those who look at the obstacles, who look at the challenges, who look at the difficulties, and then who look to God, and then have a spirit of faith. Amen. Romans 4, what did Abraham do? He, he, he didn't look at his body. Two different Greek texts. One says he looked at his body. The other says he didn't look at his body. Either way, the same result. He recognized, okay, in the natural, I'm too old to have children. But rather than focusing on that, he remembered the promise of God. Yeah. That God was able to bring something out of nothing. 
and that God could bring about a reality that was contrary to his, and therefore he was not weak in faith, but he glorified God. I think we need to look at things totally realistically and recognize the Great Commission is impossible. Let's be realistic. Let's be realistic. That's the truth. America is too far gone to ever turn. In the natural, that's the truth. When God first called me to begin to deal with issues concerning gay and lesbian activism in 2004 and laid out my heart to reach out to the people with compassion and resist the agenda with courage, I, I, I surveyed the land. I looked at how far things had gone in the country, how far they had gone in the education system, how far they had gone in, in the, the media, how far they had gone in the world of politics and the courts and, and the business world. And as I looked, I realized we lost. We lost. It's over. It's over for this generation. And that brought me tremendous encouragement. You say, why? Because Lazarus doesn't need an aspirin. Lazarus needs resurrection. In other words, God, God didn't... Amen. God didn't call me to do something that I could do. It was impossible. Here, I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish, right? My wife and I, Nancy and I, are Jewish. And you know, there's the joke... Uh, you know, people say, oh, I, I love the Jews. I have a burden for the Jews. And we say to them, you know any Jews? <laughs> Ever lived in Brooklyn? You know, go live in, go live in Tel Aviv for a year and see what happens to your burden. You know, it's the, the old song, you know, oh, to be with the Jews in glory. Uh, yeah, that would be, yes, yeah, wonderful. To be with the Jews in heaven, that would be glory. To be with them here on earth, that's another story. <laughs> so 46 years... I'm joking, 46 years of, of reaching out to Jewish people. You know, how many, how many ultra-Orthodox rabbis have I personally seen come to the Lord? Well, I know here and there I've met some that are believers, but how many have I personally led to the Lord that I've interacted with counter-missionaries? Now, there's none. Now, they haven't turned me either. But the fact is, you know, ministered for years and years and sowed seed for years and years and worked for years and years. In the natural, it's discouraging. In the natural, it's not going to happen. But you know what fuels my fire? Every single day of Jewish evangelism, all Israel will be saved. I know that a national turning is coming. I know that in every generation there's a remnant and that at the end of this age there's going to be a national turning. That fuels my fire. When I see people coming against the gifts and power of the Spirit and things like that, I feel bad for them because I know the outpouring is only going to increase. I know that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord one day, when Jesus returns, that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. And I know before that time, the Spirit's going to be poured out in greater measure than we've ever seen. So it doesn't matter what I see with my physical eyes, because God's spoken. And, and I've been following him long enough to see that he is utterly reliable. That's not some pipe dream. I don't turn off my brain to follow Jesus. I don't deny the evidence to follow Jesus. I don't stop being realistic. I look, I see, and then I look at God, and I believe God. Some years back, we were having a holiday gathering, Christmas gathering, whatever it was, for our school and ministry team. So we have at our home base a church, a missions organization, and a school, and then my own ministry, Ask Dr. Brown. This was a gathering for all of our workers involved with the school, especially in the missions and church ministry there. And I don't pass to the congregation, but I'm the leader of the ministry as a whole. So one of the gals on staff, very gifted, very creative, used to be with us, she came up with this idea and she gave all of us a Lego. I still have mine. She gave all of us a Lego, and then she said, right on that Lego, the unique contribution that you bring to this ministry, and specifically to the school. So I was going to put vision. I'm the visionary leader. I was going to put vision, but I got to really think about it. Because, you know, one Lego, one thing. My wife, Nancy, had to write two. She said, I'm sorry, but there are two. But she doesn't always play by the rules anyway. That's okay. <laughs> Did I tell you we're New York Jews, by the way? <laughs> so I'm thinking about the one thing that I bring the thing that, the unique thing that I bring to the ministry, to the school, and I knew it. And, and, and I was the only one that wrote that down. Others had vision and things like that. Courage. Courage. Billy Graham said, courage is contagious. But when a bold man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. And I knew many times we'd be hit with financial crisis. We, we can't 
pay the staff. I mean, sometimes we'd have months like that where there's no pay and how are we going to get through and, and, and different challenges like that. And I knew that it was just as natural as it is to, to breathe the air for me that God had put the spirit of faith in me to say, we're going to do this and watch what God's going to do. And sometimes I'd even, when I felt a supernatural spirit of faith on me or the gift of faith in operation, I remember telling the student body one time, watch what's about to happen. I said, I feel the gift of faith in operation. Watch what's about to happen. And the next few months, it was an unreal series of events. Extraordinary. Such as I have, I give. I want to encourage you that the final reality is going to be what God says. When every kingdom on this earth is gone, when there's nothing but dust and ashes from human achievements, when when every ugly satanic thing has been defeated, this will ring true. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And Paul said, having the same spirit of faith, therefore we speak. Having the spirit of faith, we speak and we believe. Last illustration. When I had started teaching in a Bible school, it was part-time. It was the end of of, uh, 82 going into 83. I'm sorry, 83 going into 84. I was going to be hired there full-time. I was at a sales job, and and I'd left that job, was getting ready to teach there. I was supposed to get my final commission of, of several thousand dollars for the biggest job we had ever contracted when the thing fell through. And it was supposed to be $5,000, which in those days was going to be a few months' expenses and bills, and that fell through. And I remember getting that word that the whole job collapsed. And at the same time, I had come down sick, just a minor sickness, but I had come down sick. And that same day, our, our daughter had taken a fall, and, and she had these lumps on the back of her head, you know, took, a, took a bad fall. And as I get the word that we lost this job, and I have no clue now how I'm going to pay the, pay the mortgage and pay our bills these next two months because I transitioned. You know, we we're going from the one ministry to the other, and the other ministry wasn't going to have money for me until this point, but I knew I had this check coming, and the check's not going to be coming. And there's our daughter with the bumps on the back of her head, and you're a parent thinking, is she okay? And then I'm sick, and I remember as I'm standing there just feeling the weight of all these things, overall small, but at that moment, you know when they hit, they can feel big? I look at the window, and it was icy outside, and the ice is coming through the window. We had some defective windows in the house, and the ice was coming through, which completely destroys the walls and everything. And I remember when that hit, I said to myself, I am going to sleep. Because I knew right then, although in themselves these are tiny little things, at that moment they all felt big. And you know, sometimes just a frustrating day when you spill the coffee. I don't drink coffee, but imagine this. You spill the coffee, that's it. It's like, I can't take this anymore. Just one too many little things. And some of you are in the midst of, of real hellish battles. I mean, life and death. If God doesn't come through, you die, or that loved one dies, or you go bankrupt, or some disaster. I mean, some of you are really in a hellish battle. And I knew, I knew, I knew that in the authority of Jesus, I was going to push back against these things. I knew it was a demonic attack. But I knew at that moment I was tired and sick. And what I needed was a good night's sleep. So I went to my room. You know, Nancy, bed, I went to sleep early. Got a good night's sleep. Woke up in the morning and started praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, and just meditating on Ephesians 1. And and the, the resurrected power of Jesus over all demonic powers. And again... It's such a small thing compared to life and death issues that some of you are suffering, but then it felt heavy, and it was with the oppression of the enemy at that time. And I prayed, and I meditated on the verses, maybe just an hour and a half or so, until I I took hold of that reality that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lived in me, and by the authority of Jesus' name, just took dominion over Satan. And it was basically instantly, the bumps disappeared on the the back of our daughter's head. I was healed. Somehow, my mom said, oh, I'll help out with money, and then we're just going to pay her back. And then the ice just stopped spreading. I mean, every time before that, we had a disaster. It just, all these little things, just boom, just stopped on a dime. And and I know it's small. I, I know it's a tiny illustration. But it reminded me of the fact that in myself, I'm a wimp. In, in myself, I'm no match for anything. You know, look, 
you could go through a workout and within minutes you're begging, please, I can't. You know, in ourselves we are wimps. But in Jesus we are men and women of iron and steel and more than conquerors. And the battle is not with us, the battle is with the Lord. And I genuinely feel bad for people who oppose God. You have this big atheist rally. I know atheists making certain progress with certain people, but I feel bad for them. It's like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? I just feel terrible for them, especially the ones that are very sincere and maybe hurt by circumstances of life. And I feel terrible for them. And, and, and all the rabbis I deal with, all the time I just have this confidence, like I know the end of the story. Now, I can't guarantee that individual's faith, but, but I know the end of the story overall. So I, I want to encourage you today to rise up in faith. And I want to pray particularly. I want to break off a spirit of discouragement and fear. This is not something I do all the time. I can't remember doing this in, in years. All right, and, and as we're broadcasting on Facebook Live, this is not just my little formula to do this. I just feel stirred to do it. And pray for a spirit of faith to rise. So, so we're going to stand to our feet together now. All right? We're going to stand to our feet. And, and I just want you to be absolutely honest before God. If there's been a spirit of fear on you, or, or there's just that discouragement, that, that, that hopelessness, discouragement, fear, I want to break it off of you in Jesus' name. And, and then when I'm done... When I'm done praying, I'm going to ask the healing team to come up, but only those in the healing team that really want to go for it and do it. Then anyone that needs prayer for sickness, they're going to pray for you, all right? But I want to break this thing off of you, whether it's two of you or 200 of you. I want to break this thing off of you in Jesus' name. And I want to say, such as I have, I give. Look, I don't relate to fear the way a lot of people relate to fear. Certain things just scare other people, don't scare me. Certain things that people run from, I run too. But I've seen my weaknesses enough and been hit with fear enough and even been hit with you know, just like panic in the midst of something to recognize this is not something you fight yourself. This is not big, strong Dr. Michael Brown. No, I put zero confidence in me. Zero. All the confidence is in the God who lives inside of me and the God who sent his son to die for me and the God who rules and reigns by his authority and under whose feet everything in this universe stands. That's my confidence. And he's put within me faith, and he's put within me courage, so such as I have, I give you in Jesus' name. So everybody close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. And if, this, if you say, yeah, that's me, man, I'm, I'm battling with fear or discouragement or hopelessness, like the courage is taken out of me, if that's you, just raise your hand all over this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, by the name and authority of King Jesus, I come against these lies. I come against this deception. I come against this fear. By the authority of Jesus, we take captive every thought and bring it into subjection to the cross, and we declare that sickness is not Lord, that fear is not Lord, that hopelessness is not Lord, that circumstances are not Lord, that Jesus alone is Lord. We proclaim that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, bringing everything under his subjection. And Father, by the name of Jesus, I say fear, discouragement, go. By the name of Jesus, I come against the lies and I pray, O oh God, that a spirit of faith would rise, that the same spirit that was in Joshua and Caleb would rise that we would take hold of it, that we would say no to the lies of the enemy, that we would say no to the spirit of fear, that we would say yes to you, Lord Jesus. Just go ahead, begin to praise God. Just raise your hands and begin to praise God. I don't care how you feel, begin to praise Him. God! God, we praise you. God, we praise you. God, we praise you. Come on, get aggressive. Especially if you were struggling, get aggressive. Begin to praise him. Begin to thank him. The righteous cry out. The righteous cry out. 
and the Lord hears. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. 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 All authority in heaven and earth is given to you, King Jesus. And you've given us authority over all the power of the enemy to trample on serpents and scorpions. Jesus is Lord. 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 Come on, press in. Don't stop. Press in. Rebuke the lies. Rebuke the lies. If you need to tell the devil he's a liar. Jesus. 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 Jesus, Lord of all. Breakthroughs tonight. Breakthroughs tonight. Breakthroughs tonight. Breakthroughs tonight in Jesus' name. Breakthroughs tonight in Jesus' name. Jesus. 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 Don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't get into a pity party. Everybody goes through troubles. Everybody goes through hardships. Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, and in him we overcome. His victory is our victory. Jesus, Lord, we praise you, and we glorify you, and we love you, and we honor you. You broke the power of death. You conquered the grave. You'll crush Satan under your feet. You've given us victory over every attack and onslaught of hell. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Holy God. Jesus. Look, we walk by faith, not by sight, but some of you, you know something's lifted off of you. You can feel it. You can tangibly feel a difference. Heaviness is lifted off of you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Keep praising God and believing God. And friend, what you, what you need to do sometimes is when everything is just coming against you, just look at what's written and say, I don't care how I feel. Devil, you can kill me. I just go with Jesus. You can't, you can't win. Jesus is Lord. Everything Satan brings against us for evil, God turns for greater good if we love him. Jesus. Jesus. I don't live in a vacuum, friends. We, we watch friends die. We, we've watched hardship come. We've, we've seen tragedy, terrorism, take family members. We, we've seen these things. We live in a real world. And, and after all these years, I'm more full of faith and more full of confidence and more full of expectation than ever because the goodness of God just one more time, I, I want you to stop. And whatever that giant was that was there before, all right? I don't care if you feel it's totally gone or if it still feels like it's there. Whether it was the, the report from a doctor or just hopelessness and despair or depression in your own life, some mountain like that. I feel some are going to have some tremendous breakthrough in, a, in, in emotional strongholds that have strangled you for years. Whatever that thing is, a mountain of, of, of hopeless debt and bankruptcy and you see no way out with your best efforts I just want you to stop for a minute and just look at that thing just look at that thing just look at the reality of that and then just look up and begin to praise God that he's good Jesus <laughs> you're bigger and you're better and you're more wonderful and there's no discouragement in you and there's no depression in you and there's no hopelessness in you and there's no fear in you Jesus, 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 you're faithful, 
You faithful? The greatest victory has already been won. The greatest victory has already been sealed. And we are in Him. And in Him we overcome. And in Him we are more than conquerors. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Listen, I want the healing team to come up. Everyone that's ready to aggressively pray for the sick and, and you feel that strong faith in your heart, I want you to come up. And we're going to pray for any that have a physical need. If you need physical healing, let's chase out demons and disease in Jesus' name tonight. Let's chase out powers of darkness in Jesus' name. And, and if we just prayed for you to break fear and discouragement, and you just said, I, I just want someone to agree with me. I believe God's at work. I just want someone to agree with me. You come up. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And we are ready to pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord. Well, we got enough people to pray for. I hope we have some sick people to pray for. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Listen, whether you've been prayed for 100 times and you have a chronic condition or you've never, ever been prayed for, all right? Either way, if you have sickness in your body, or if you've got some condition that you're struggling with, these folks are ready to pray for you. So, Father, we thank you for the release of healing power. And healing team, pray with faith. Pray with aggression, all right? Don't be passive. We're talking about strongholds here in Jesus' name. You need prayer. Come on up. And there, folks, this aisle is filled, so just come around wherever you can find people. Let's break these strongholds. Father, thank you for the release of faith. Thank you for the release of healing. Thank you for deliverance. Thank you for breaking of strongholds in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Save lives tonight. Save lives tonight. Bring healing. Bring deliverance. Thank you, Lord. Freedom, healing, life, deliverance. Captives set free tonight in Jesus' name. Captives set free tonight in Jesus' name. Captives set free tonight in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. Jesus' name. Yeah, I'll pray also. If you need prayer, just come on in. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. 